Insights, solutions, and networking all come together at RSA Conference. Join a global cybersecurity community at rsaconference.com forward slash ITSP MAG24. Welcome to the intersection of technology, cybersecurity, and society. Welcome to ITSP Magazine. Every company has a story to tell, from the small startup to the large enterprise, and everything in between. This is one of them. Knowledge is power, now more than ever. Marco. Sean. You know what I'm forced to uh, catch every day? I'm not talking hot potatoes here. A bus? A bus. <laughs> not, a, not a bus either. That's a good guess, though. I like that guess. Now I'm forced to catch 22 every single day. That's why I said a bus, because, you know, you call the bus by the number. So I'm like, <laughs> <are> you can't. <laughs> the 22 uh, cross town? I don't know. The problem of catching a bus 22 is that it could be a catch 22. Yeah, can get a little problematic. Are you going where you want to go? Because <laughs> it's going the right direction. This is going to be a fun conversation with our with our good friends uh, from Imperva. Did some research uh, looking at privacy and the trade offs we make and the challenges businesses face um, earning and maintaining trust with their. Uh, their consumers, their users, as they, they deliver digital services to do everything from catching a bus to uh, finding recipes for cooking potatoes. Right? <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm going to stick with the food because I like food. But, stick with uh, the food. Yeah, I'll do that. And uh, yeah, before we go any further, I, I definitely want to introduce uh, our guest, Terry Ray. Uh, Terry's been on the show before. He's an SVP and an, an Imperva fellow. Terry, uh, it's great to great to have you on. Looking forward to having this conversation today. It's great to be back. Good to see you both again, Sean, Marco. Always a pleasure. And yeah. uh, I don't know. Do you, do you catch the twenty two bus every day? <laughs> <laughs> in, in in the in the const in the context of what we're going to be talking about, absolutely every single day. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I gotta say before we we dive into this is like this is our second conversation with you, and uh, I have to say with we had a I think we had a good time last time. We you know we we talk about cybersecurity and and, and data security and all those fun stuff that usually are not fun, but I don't know somehow we managed to. <laughs> to talk about lighthouses and iceberg and the Titanic last time. So I cannot wait to see where it's going today. I think it's going to be as fun and as educational because at the end of the day, we, we want we want people to get something from our conversations. Yeah, I, I predict genies in the future. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I'm just saying. All right. Uh, Terry, t- tell, tell us what's going on. So you, team put together some research, did a survey, collected some information. What, what was the what was the goal behind this work that you did? What, what are you trying to uncover and uh, what's the intent behind it? Yeah, so it's it's one of these things where, you know, it's you kind of already know what the answer is going to be, to be honest, from a, from a consumer perspective, meaning we looked at some of the numbers as 
how much how many records are really stolen every single year and on average it's about growing 224 percent in terms of just data our data my data that's being taken every year it's growing and growing it's not growing by small numbers and so we said well what do people think about that what kind of issues do the the layman folks myself my mom my dad everybody else what do they think about their private data and so we went out and we we've uh uh, questioned or you know uh, interviewed about 7,000 people, I think 6,700 and change in the USA, UK, Australia, and Singapore, and asked them some basic questions and, uh, and, and got some results back. And I thought, the, I thought it was an interesting perspective because normally what we're talking about, what I'm talking with you guys about is, is the technology behind the business, about what businesses do and all of this. And that's where a lot of our research tends to play. Um, but we really don't spend a lot of time focusing on what really impacts the individual, the people that interact with those businesses. And that's what this was about. And while later on, maybe we'll talk a little bit about why this matters to businesses. Really, this research was about the individual and, and, and what some of their numbers and their perspectives uh, were and are. I'm glad you said that because I was going to make a point and say to the people listening, this is not just about the consumer we're actually going to talk about what this means for the businesses so you know stay tuned we're getting there <laughs> we have a point <laughs> but but let's start with that like any anything that really catch and i'm playing with catch 22 catch your attention <laughs> Definitely. Yeah. I mean, and, and I'm going to, I'm going to throw out some numbers like any kind of research, right? There's numbers that have to be thrown out. So I'll throw some of those out, but you know, the, the ones that really stood out to me were the quarter of people that were out there that said they were exhausted to the degree uh, that they'd pretty much given up on security. They were done with it. They're like, what's the point? 26% of people said that it was inevitable that their data was going to be leaked at some point. So worrying about who you're going to share your data with or what you're going to say online, it really doesn't, doesn't, doesn't register for them. But what I took from that was that there were the other people, the 74% of everybody else who said, maybe there is some place that I should trust. Or maybe there is some other place. And it took me down to other areas where the places you would expect and the places where you have absolutely no choice but to share your data there is some trust. There's about 37 to 29% of people trust their banks, their insurance, their healthcare, and even, and this one was surprising, and even their government. And regardless of wherever government you are, Australia, UK, Singapore, what have you, governments have breaches often. There are a lot of breaches in the government's, government sector for a numerous, you know, numerous reasons, but it does happen a lot. So that number was a little surprising to me that they were still in that 27%. What is interesting is there, were, there was no industry where half of the people said, I trust that industry. These were all pretty low percentages, but they were the top percentages. The other interesting factor was uh, retail. Only 5% of people trusted retail. We all buy stuff. We all put our stuff out there. We all give them that data. I don't know about you, but when I go to the grocery store or go to Target or wherever, and they're like, hey, can I enter your phone number? Can I have your phone number? It's always a fake phone number. I always give them something else, right? I'm not, I'm not giving it just because I don't want them calling me, not because of a fear of really them losing the, the phone number. That's my, my reason is don't bother me, not don't lose my data. And there's a few others here, but um, that was some of the stuff that, that I saw that, that really kind of piqued my interest initially. Uh, that was interesting to me first. Yeah, and it's interesting. 
people, different people think of this in different ways. Um, so you don't want the, you don't want them contacting you. And I'm sure I'll, I'll be honest. I, I share my number with certain things like my pharmacy, right? Cause I do, I do want them to contact me, but I'm almost certain that they've <laughs> lost my data and they're probably the reason for a lot of the spam I get <laughs> spam phone calls I get. And so I guess my point is, and I'll, I'll stick with the healthcare thing because there are some times where we're not able to make a choice. We always have the choice, but it's not a choice we can make easily. And we're kind of forced to make it. If you have to deal with the DMV, you have to deal with the DMV. If you have to deal with the IRS, the IRS, if you're a government employee, um, the, I can't remember what, the, what group got, got popped there that all their, all the government employees information was stolen. Um, but healthcare, right? Pretty important to stay alive. You you want to have good good uh, experience with healthcare providers, pharmacy. You need to share the information. Your doctors. Um, I've had an experience where, not me personally, but have this heart monitor. Go get this app from the app store. They'll send you a device. Collect the data through that and send and share it with me, and I'll give you analysis of of, uh, of that information that's a tough choice to make right and it's not a, a hospital in this case or a provider it's an app on yeah. an app store so what, what do we do with that so it's interesting how we think about this what what's safe what's important how do we make that challenge and i don't know if there's any information in the in the report that kind of leads us to how people are making some of those decisions uh, what what's important to keep private what who cares? We, we have to do this anyway. Anything in there that, that stands out to you? I mean, it didn't, it didn't, we didn't really spend time asking about the, how you make your decisions really. It was more, you know, a lot of these were yes and no kind of questions based on certain things, but you know, you know, you, you see people doing this all the time and, and the terminology that, that I like to use. And I know we used in the, in the messaging as well here was forced insecurity. Right. And it, it kind of speaks back to that catch 22. You're you might say you're damned if you do and you're damned if you don't or you get it if you do and you don't get it if you don't. How many of us you know, you, you you go to a website in, in America, you see them most of the time in, in Europe, you see them in every single website you go to. You must accept cookies. You have to you have to answer one way or the other what you're going to do and how you're going to use your data with that uh, with that particular entity. Uh, you know, you, you use the great examples of the IRS, of healthcare. Uh, if you want a mortgage of, of all of these, you have no choice in today's world but to share your data. And so I think I think most people and I'll let myself in here. I know when I first started at, at Imperva and this was decades ago, but uh, when I first started at Imperva, one of the things we did is we would do penetration testing, hacking, if you will, white hat hacking. We, we were allowed to do it. A company would say, please come and see if you can get in. And we would do that. And we would get in. I remember showing my fiance, my wife now, uh, but at the time she's like, should I not be using online banking? Then you just hacked right into that, that system. They allowed you to, and you cut through it like it was butter. And I'm like, you're right. We did. So, but you kind of have to use these services. We have to, we have to put our trust a little bit into these systems, but that it, it starts to shift the conversation a little bit towards the reason businesses are doing what they do. We are forced as individuals if we want to use modern technology, if we want to have the conveniences that we would expect today, 
in today's world and I want to communicate with the people I'm going to communicate with, then I need to be able to share my data. I have to share my data regardless of the trust that I have in it. Unless I want to live in a, you know, in the mountains, in a cottage with no electricity, no wireless and nothing else, then, you know, then that's what I have to do. And that's why you see now today the regulations 20 years ago it was my credit card. It was PCI. And shortly after that was my, my patient data with HIPAA. And there's new versions of them all the time coming out. Then you have, you know, GLBA for financial data. And then finally, about five or six years ago, finally, someone said, you know, it's not just about the data that's important to the companies and the banks. It's also important about my data. What are you doing about my data? And that's when we saw the likes of, you know, Europe's general data protection, you know, GDPR. We see CCPA in California. We see more and more states around the United States creating their own consumer privacy regulations that are trying to put some kind of uh, at least fundamental baseline requirements on organizations to at least try and get them to do some of the right things around securing data that may well not be financially relevant data to the business, credit card or SOX data or financial data, but is consumer related data, traditionally maybe unmonitored, but now maybe a little bit more monitored. And so we are seeing some direction that way where consumers are saying, look, I know I have to do this, but their voting rights and everything else are starting to push, at least at the state level, some regulations around that data, which is a good thing, I think. Yeah, you, you mentioned the the GDPR and all those cookies selection that you have to make. And it, I think it actually got worse lately because now I see that by default, you're opting to sell my data. And if you don't want to, you have to unclick that. And I'm like, oh, wow, it actually got worse. <laughs> <'Cause> that, <laughs> you know, but, but at least you know that if you say yes, they're actually going to sell your data. So, Sean, you're going to get phone calls from mm -hmm. whomever. But the point is... I don't even know what data. That's the interesting thing. That, that's what, the thing. What, what I sell my data. What, what is it? You know? I mean, are you actually showing, sharing the kind of medication that I am getting or whatever I'm buying on the website? I mean, because that's, that's scary. So my question is to turn it into what does this mean? Like, these numbers, what does it mean for the business? So on one side... It says more people don't trust it, but more people share it because it's inevitable. So it's that catch-22. So our company, in your opinion, take advantage of this and say, well, they are numb. So let's, let's get everything we can. And then even the thing that are going to put us in trouble, because we talked about that. Like many times you talk to companies that are like, we don't even know where their data is. If there is a backup for that, is that worth the risk to get that? So how are the companies evolving the way they look at data? So it, the, the short answer is it depends, right? It depends on, it depends on your industry, right? <laughs> so if you are, if you're a healthcare provider, you don't want to have a breach. I mean, nobody wants to have a breach. Nobody wants to have a leak. Let's put that out there. But the impact of those types of incidents on particular industries is different just because of the, the nature of the industry, right? So in healthcare, if there's a breach of healthcare, am I gonna start seeing another doctor? Am I gonna go to a different healthcare provider? Does my insurance even support another healthcare provider? Do I really even have a choice? Um, the same thing would be true of an airline. Take an airline down here. I live in Houston. It's one of United's primary headquarters. If United had a breach, do I really wanna take the fewer flights that American provides or Southwest provides down in my area? Or do I want the ones that United does? probably going to be at United. And the same thing's true of financial services and others. But if you flip that script and you say, what about those organizations that are easily 
changeable. How about your grocery store? Could you go to a different grocery store if you wanted to? There's there's got to be more than more than one around. Could you go to? Uh, could you choose to use Lyft instead of Uber if one of them had uh, had had a breach of one sort or the other? And I'm just picking on a couple here, but point is the same thing with a with a hotel chain or whatever else, right? So you can kind of pick and choose depending on the industry. So that impact to the industry, I can see organizations saying, all right, well. If we have a breach, it's going to be a bad day. And here's the way it impacts. It may impact our stock price. And that's not going to change in any, regardless of what we do. We may get fined depending on how regulated we are. And that could be the bigger of the issues is that, that immediate impact of that. It may be that we can't take credit cards anymore because I lost data one way or the other. And now all of a sudden it's credit cards. And now I'm being fined by Visa or MasterCard or what have you. Uh, but from a, from a consumer perspective, usually the consumer piece that I'm finding is unless it's one of those industries that are highly replaceable, that's the lesser priority is what's my impact here? And that's why those privacy regulations came about to say, recognize that you know the consumers are kind of left out in that model, that there wasn't a there wasn't anything with teeth that could really bite a company uh, if uh, if they had a breach of consumer private data. So my quick comment here is, is it becoming the cost of being in business? Like data breach? Yeah, okay, whatever. You know, the stock's going to go down for a little bit, then it's going to come back up again because people are going to forget. Then you're still going to go and buy in that same place, probably, even if they're going to boycott. So can you factor this in? Because that would be dangerous for security. Well, I think I think many organizations do factor in the potential of a of a data leak and the cost of it. I don't I don't think it hits their PL. I'd be surprised. I mean, it will if they have a breach. It'll, it will, but but I don't think they factor it in as this is our budget. Then you know when this happens, some organizations will have a bug bounty, and there may be there may be some money and budget put toward a potential bug bounty where somebody comes in and says, "Hey, I found a problem. I was able to find this data on the web." They prove it out and show you've got some money for it. Whether they budget for it or not, I think organizations have recognized the reality and the likely risk of a breach to a degree that they're willing to pay for cybersecurity insurance to say, it may not be my problem, but I will um, have a, a recognizable expenditure for insurance. And this is, this is my threshold of what I know I'm going to have to pay. And that's what I'm going to be prepared to pay. So my impact in a breach is here. The insurance will take it well beyond that to whatever it happens to be. Uh, and so I, I was actually referring to don't even take that cost and say, screw it. It's not going to affect me that much. Oh, yeah, it's not the <laughs> Pinto story, right? It's, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's kind of one of those things. I, I don't, I don't, well, I mean, there, there are companies that certainly will, you know, will certainly accept the risk themselves and what come, what, what may come may come and they, they do what they're going to do with it. Um, but I think the the bigger organization it is, the certainly the public organizations where there's there's more scrutiny on what they're doing as a business tend to have a little bit more of a plan than maybe a, a, a private business or a smaller business. Let's 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 look at some of the other differences, and I'm going to go kind of international here. Because um, to, to Marco's point, he and I are both in the U.S. at the moment. Um, a lot of those pop-ups around. Uh, Cookies are driven by initially policies and, and regulation through GDPR, which is a European-based one that now is impacting the U.S. And of course, now the U.S. is looking at its own uh, privacy laws and whatnot. But my, my question is, do regions and cultures change how consumers look at this, how businesses deal with this? 
Um, any 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 info from the report that kind of paint a paint a picture of how things change in different parts of the world? Yeah, I, 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 the, the numbers are you know the numbers the numbers. But if you look at if you look at you know the UK for example, right, seventy four percent of UK citizens feel like they have no choice over sharing their data online. They they just have no choice for it. The number is a little bit lower in the United States. And if you look at Singapore, there's a lot of trust in Singapore around around uh, their government, you know, securing their data. Uh, that's not necessarily the case. There was only 27-ish percent, I think, something like this in the United States in terms of what they trust the government to do. So yeah, for sure it's regionally in terms of what the, the feeling is in terms of their the the individual's perception of the risk of their data, depending on where it happens to be, um, but I think you know when when I when I twist that back around and we start to look at it, you know I think one of the things that that uh, is is interesting is it's not just about you sharing your data because somebody asked you for the data, it's also you sharing your data for communications. Right, we deal with telecommunications all the time, and that's a global effort for who you communicate with. I communicate with people in well, all around the world. And I use three or four different apps to do it with WhatsApp and WeChat and, and just standard text and FaceTime and whatever else it is. Now, I'm cognizant that whatever I put out there can be used against me in one way or the other. And, and when it's out there, there's a record of it. But one of the statistics that was interesting is that 40% or I should let me start this over. 9% of people trust cloud messaging. Nine percent of people, ninety-one percent of people, do not trust cloud messaging—the things you put in the cloud. But the bigger factor here was forty percent of people still use that cloud messaging to to share private and intimate secrets between themselves and other people. So a lot of people don't trust it, but yet they still recognize that they're going to use it because they're gonna use it. What, what other mechanism do they have? Pick up the phone and actually call somebody? Nobody does that anymore. We're gonna use a text. We're gonna send this message so that it can be retained for uh, forever one way or the other. And, uh, and we've seen problems of that, right? Anytime you start putting that private data out there that is really private data, really impactful, a lot of times that's a choice. And you know, I didn't even know it when it first came out that I don't have to collect, I don't have to click that accept all cookies button to read an article. I can click the X up there. I don't have to click that and I can still read my article. You're just clicking that accept all to say, yes, you may use my cookies. You may put cookies on my system, but you don't have to. I think a lot of people recognize, don't, don't recognize that that's, that is a choice you do have. You can choose not to accept those cookies as well. Yeah. And, and, they, and the companies often create, we had a podcast not too long ago about the dark pattern on user interface where they kind of trick you to, like you said, you know, maybe... I think that if I don't click that, I can't read anything. So I really want to read this article, but that's not the truth. So they play with the ignorance of, of people. And based on that, I, I think a lot of people, I love your opinion on this, like privacy and security. It's the same thing, but it's not the same thing. Is it like the wrong perception there in our company dividing this as they should or put it together where they should? Because it is confusing, like the definition of it even from one country to another, honestly. I think organizations have actually done a very good job to their detriment of separating security and privacy. And it's, it's, it's somewhat because they were forced or instructed to, but if you go back and look at the, if we, if we, if we rewind and talk about the fact that the only reason we have privacy regulations today is because that consumer data was not protected. It was not in scope 
for organizations under the current regulatory the current regulatory compliance regulations like PCI, even HIPAA to some degree, uh, uh, SOX and others, my name and address was not in scope for a lot of those regulations. So privacy came about from organizations not necessarily doing the right thing. But when GDPR, and I'll pick on GDPR mostly here because it's got the most teeth of anything, but GDPR came out and said, all right, well, not only do you need to do certain things, but you need to hire somebody who is responsible. And that it was a very good thing that they said that because I used to ask in CISO roundtables, I, I talked to security all the time. I would talk to CISO roundtables, chief information security officer roundtables. And one of the first questions I would ask was, who's responsible for data security in your organization? Whose job is it? And half of the room would raise their hands and say, it's my job. The other half of the room would give me a mishmash of different answers. Oftentimes it's, well, it's everybody's job. Okay, yes, that's the very di diplomatic answer. But whose phone rings when somebody says, we've lost a million records of XYZ, whose phone rings? And then usually it's, it's, it's probably our job. But they would caveat it and say, how do I have any idea where my private data is? How do I know even what my private data is? That's somebody else's job to know all that stuff. And so GDPR, I think, recognized that in, in a good way and said, look, somebody has to own this. Somebody's job it has to be to protect the privacy for this regulation, at least. And so they had that mandate that said you need to go hire a chief privacy officer or a data privacy officer, depending on where you happen to be, has a different name. But essentially, somebody usually in the legal department that's going to own this project. And uh, and go ahead. Go ahead, Sean. No, I, I, I love this. And I. Where I want to take it is to kind of the, the business view of this, because looking at GDPR, and I think we talked about this uh, briefly the other day, that the focus for many companies was the right to forget, right? And less about protecting the data, but having somebody in charge that actually oversees how can we use this data safely within the bounds of the regulation that uh, has been placed upon us with a heavy focus on the right to forget. So that, that doesn't leave a lot of uh, focus on, well, how do we actually not collect the data we shouldn't be collecting, not use it if we do collect it and, and, and not use it inappropriately if we have and protect it at all costs because that's the right thing to do. And plus it's probably also in one or more regulations. So how, how do organizations kind of bridge that gap between the simple, quote unquote, simple right to forget and all the rest of this stuff when it comes to putting policies in place for privacy and security, controls in place to match those policies, monitoring to ensure that the, those those uh, boundaries are, are kept within. And then, of course, the, when something bad does happen, uh, the, the response to that. So the exposure is less, the impact is less, you notify the people in the right way. Uh, that have been impacted. I know there's a lot in there, but where do companies begin to actually do the right thing beyond just check the compliance box here? There's always a box to check. <laughs> Some organizations can can go and do that. And, and depending on your auditor, you know, that may or may not get you where you need to be. But I would say most most large enterprise, large organizations that that we speak to, uh, it's it is, you know, I, I would never be one to say data security is easy because there's a lot of components to it. 
it can be it can be easy, right? It can be this is a simple component. Just go find where your data is. I mean, look, at the at the at the beginning of the process when we start to think about privacy, protect Terry's data. You have to know where Terry's data is before you start protecting it, right? I need to know where the asset is so I can put some controls around it. Uh, and so if we start to talk about from a privacy angle, the beginning place is go find the data and classify that data. So you understand what risk really you have and how broad your problem really is. Has Terry's data spread throughout the organization in a thousand different places or is it siloed in one place? And now how do I how do I start to answer Terry's questions about his data? Does he want it to be forgotten? Does he want us to tell him what we have about him? Does he want us to share our data, share his data with somebody else? What does he want us to do? All those are privacy things that that would be in, in a privacy world. But if you if you take the other side of, of even the privacy regulations, the privacy regulations will say not only do you need to know where Terry's data is, and not only do you need to be able to do what Terry asks you about his data if you can as a business. You also still need to do those fundamental things around securing Terry's data that you shouldn't have forgotten about from what you are already doing around your credit cards and whatever other types of private data you happen to have. Meaning it's not enough for an organization to go classify Terry's data and be able to tell Terry, hey, by the way, I forgot your data. That's not nearly enough. You have to also be able to answer questions as to who accessed Terry's data across the last three years, four years, whatever it is, who touched Terry's data? How was Terry's data used? Was it ever deleted? Was it moved? All of these things require that you have monitored. And I'm picking on Terry here, obviously, but you've got to be able to, you've got to be able to answer these questions about any type of consumer data that you have. And if you have that information, it naturally means now I can tell you, did somebody touch Terry's data in a way that they weren't supposed to inappropriately? Did they access not only Terry's data, but Sean and Marco and whoever else's data along the way? Did they grab a whole bunch of data? The only way I can ever answer those questions, and there was a, you know, there's a couple of, you know, hospital chains and airlines and others have, that have experienced this already. Their issues with the regulation weren't that they couldn't answer Terry's question when he asked it to be forgotten. Their issues were the fundamentals of, can they actually protect the data and do they have the appropriate natural fundamental controls around the data? And if you don't, GDPR and the privacy rules will get you just like PCI and HIPAA and anybody else will. Those fundamentals didn't go away. It's just they added the privacy angles to it. So every time that there is a new regulation, a new rule, and usually you see there is a new tool. Oh, you need to find this here. Here's a new tool just made just for that. We made a joke the other day when we were preparing for this about the soap industry, right? There is a soap for everything, but at the end, it's the same soap. But the point is, how how do people go by that? I mean, do you really need a tool for every single thing that is just precise for that? Or maybe what we have, it's already good enough. Well, let's look at, let's look at the at the the primary requirement for privacy around data. I need to find my data. I need to discover it and classify that data. Well, GDPR also says you need to encrypt your data. That data needs to be encrypted. So does PCI, so does HIPAA, so does a number of other regulations. To encrypt your data, 
Would it surprise you to know that you also need to know where that data is and therefore you need to discover and classify that data also? So there's a product that's out there that you can get that does discovery and classification for privacy and one that will do discovery and classification for encryption. And it may not surprise you that even products like our own, we say, look, while if you monitored everything, you probably don't have to know where it all is, but you probably want to know where your more risky data is. So sure, we can discover and classify your data as well. So exactly like you're talking about here, now my wife is in an office not, not far from me here, and she would disagree that there is a soap for her face and a soap for her hair and a soap for her hands. And her yeah, I know hair. someone that would disagree. <laughs> But I, th but I think at the end of the day, I think the analogy kind of still fits in that why do you want to do three of the exact same things to get to the exact same answer to apply that answer to three different mechanisms, right? I want to be able to go and tell Terry that I've deleted his data. Great. Well, I know where he is because I have a one tool. I want to be able to monitor Terry's data and everybody else's. Great. I did because I have one tool to know where it is. And I want to be able to encrypt that data and, and a numerous set of other things that you do, but knowing where it is. And this is just picking on knowing where the data is, but that's one of the fundamental pieces and, and frankly, you know, helpful components of data security is understanding where your more risky data lies versus your maybe uh, unregulated data. I won't say less risky, but unregulated data uh, lies. And there's definitely an overlap. And I'll, I'll add one last thing. I know we're running up time here, but one last thing is even one of my predictions this year, and it won't be finished by the end of the year, was that the privacy world, the DPO world, the DPO, when they started their job, they said, hey, so for me to do my job, I need to know where my data is. Do we have a tool that does this? And I think in many cases, organizations just didn't reach out beyond their function enough to recognize that most organizations probably already had a mechanism to go and find data. So now we find organizations that have two or three of these discovery and classification elements that are completely in overlap. And my prediction is, is that's going to all consolidate. And ultimately, there will be a technology team, probably the CISOs team, that's going to say, it's your job to go and find out where the data is and monitor it. It's the DPO's job to make sure that you're doing it. It's the DPO's job to make sure that the, the T's are crossed, the I's are dotted, and we have our auditors on time and we're answering the right questions, but the technology will retain with the technologist and really won't live in the legal department as it does today. Yeah, and I I can envision, I'm just thinking of the soap analogy. Um, if, if there's a drop of hair soap and a drop of face soap and, and you're about to wash your hair and you need, you need to combine the two together. You might need to combine those two soaps together. I guess the, the question is, do you, do you need to buy a third soap <laughs> to, 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 or a replacement of the other one? I, I don't know. I, I don't want to push the limits on this, but I guess my, my point is ultimately it comes down to cost, right? If you're, if you're spending a lot of time and a lot of money buying more tools and using more tools and generating even more data that you then have to analyze and figure out what the heck's going on, it might not be the right approach. So I'm wondering if you have some advice for organizations that have taken the journey to really look at privacy from the right perspective and tie it to their and connect it to their cybersecurity information security program in, in the right way how can they maybe take some of the next steps to to consolidate some of those tools, mix the soaps uh, where it's appropriate, um, maybe reduce some operation uh, operational expense, uh, tool expense, I don't know. Any thoughts or, or tips as we wrap here? 
It's what I would call your, your three-in-one conditioner, right? It's uh, you know, it's one bottle, one uh, one thing, right? You bring it all together. So we, we're seeing more and more of this. In fact, there was uh, one of the analysts uh, had created a new segment, uh, the cybersecurity analysts, the Gartners, Foresters, you know, Cooperger Coles of the world, brought one out, and they have all been talking now about data security platforms. Because exactly what we're talking about here, organizations for years, for decades even, have said, I need to buy an encryption product. I need to buy a monitoring product. I need to buy a classification product. And then, of course, GDPR, I need to buy a privacy product. And all these different pieces, they all have different interfaces, different coverage. Some support the cloud. Some support on-prem. Some don't support one or the other. So it was, it was a very mixed, mixed uh, bag, really, of results that an organization could get when they were asked, what did Terry do in my environment? Well, if I only have a few of the tools or know how to use them, then I might have a little bit of an answer over here. But if Terry ever moved over here, then I'm completely blind to him. And the same thing is true. If you look at privacy and you take the, the data subject access request piece off of privacy, what you're left really with is you're left with fundamental data security. Monitor it, protect it, keep the bad guys out, let the good guys do what they need to do and do their job. The DSAR request was one extra piece, and I think they, we made a little bit more of it than really what really needed to be there. But the, what we're seeing to answer your question is we're seeing this drive toward a data security platform that organizations are looking for to say, I realize that one company isn't likely to have all the different pieces I need, but I need one place that can attach all of those different pieces to bring the context that they might all bring together. So while I might need to do a data subject access request in privacy, maybe I don't need another product for that. Maybe I just need to understand that I'm already watching everything happening to, happening to Terry's data. I'm already understanding where his data is. and I know who could change that data if I need to, or even delete it. Let's send that information over to our legal team and they can use that same interface to do what they need to do. A singular interface view into the entire data landscape, whether it's structured, whether it's databases or files or in the cloud or on-prem, shouldn't matter to an organization. And that's what we're seeing the demand for now is just answer the simple question. Don't, don't make me have to go to different products. Just, just tell me what Terry did anywhere in my environment and, and make it easy for me. And that's what we're seeing that demand for is that data subject or that data security platform or what we call a fabric, but a data security platform. Yep. No, I love it. And, and, and I'm going to say as we wrap here, Terry, that I mean, it's easy for, and we did it here, right? We, we left the consumer world and we're now into the operations of the business. And it can be very easy to forget the consumer, the users, the, the people pumping this data into these cloud systems. And you have to earn and keep their trust as a business. And I, I think that that has to be the, the main focus of all of this. Um, and there are a gazillion points in the report that you put together. No silver linings. Your dirty little secrets aren't safe in the cloud. Ton tons of stats in there that will hopefully remind organizations that it's the trust of your customers, your, your consumers of your products and services that that's really going to matter. And once you recognize that and where their trust is waning, <laughs> it will help probably drive some of these actions for you. And then, of course, uh, for those listening to this episode, uh, we'll have a ton of show notes and a link to that report and, uh, and link to Terry's profile. Uh, I would encourage you, uh, Terry, super smart, as you can tell. Uh, we haven't even gotten into all the stuff that Terry can do, but uh, I would encourage you to connect with Terry and, and the team at Imperva as well to help maybe take some uh, 
take some stock in, in where you might be able to consolidate and get better views and, and really focus on that trust. So uh, with that, uh, I want to thank you, Terry, for, for joining us again on uh, another episode here of uh, the Imperva Story on ITSP Magazine. And uh, Marco, I'm, I'm going to say peace out. I have a 22 bus to catch. 22 bus to catch. Take a shower first, but... <laughs> No so. shower. No shower. <laughs> All right. It was fun. Uh, looking forward to the next one. Thanks, guys. Really appreciate it. Thanks for being here. Thanks for listening, everyone. We hope you enjoyed this conversation. If you learned something new and the story made you think, then share ITSBmagazine.com with your friends, family, and colleagues. We hope you will come back for more stories and follow us on our journey. You can always find us at the intersection of technology, cybersecurity, and society. Insights, solutions, and networking all come together at RSA Conference. Join a global cybersecurity community at rsaconference.com forward slash ITSP MAG24.